First Timothy chapter 1 is where we continue to find ourselves. We'll be finishing the chapter this morning. If you have a, your Bible, you can turn there. If not, there should be a Bible there in your, in your pew, there in front of you. And grab one of those. First Timothy's in that one also. So First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 to 20 will be our, our focus. Last week we spent time in verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17. And you remember in that, Paul uses himself as an example of how the gospel is what is needed. Not the law, the gospel. And it is only the gospel that can forgive sins. And he does this to combat some of the thought that has crept into the church and some teachers now within the church who seemingly were teaching that the law must be followed plus Christ. And so yes, Christ comes to forgive, but you also must follow the law. And Paul wants to combat that. And Paul knows that if this is really the case, then of all people in the world, he would be the one that would be able to uphold this. He would be the one that this would be true for. But yet he knows that it was Christ who saved him and has forgiven him, not any of his own works. <clears throat> Nothing that he could do within the law was helpful for his salvation. And so Paul lays all of that out in verses 12 through 17, again, using himself as this example. And so often we need this as a reminder in our own life. For those of us who've been saved by God's grace, it's so refreshing to look back and to know and to understand that he did that for us, isn't it? It's good to think back to that time and then to remember as we think back that that grace is still overflowing in our life today. And that's what Paul said about his life, that God's grace overflowed in him in verse 14. Which led to verse 15, I want you to look there, which led to verse 15, which is a very important verse, where Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or Paul would say, who I'm the foremost. We need to have this verse ingrained in our mind. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came for. Are there other ramifications of that? Yes. Are there other things that uh, Christ came to do? Yes. But the main thing that he was here for and accomplished was to save lost souls. Sinners with no hope. Not the good, not the righteous, not the mighty, not all who have it together. Christ came for sinners to save them. And that is a comforting thought when we think about that, because as Spencer was talking about and as we focus on a lot, that's us. We are sinners in need of salvation, and Christ has provided that for us. And so it's not about my strength of faith. It's not about my abilities. It's not about how well I can stay attentive to things. No, it's about Christ's perfect work on the cross and the fact that he has gifted me by grace, his righteousness, his, his perfection has been given to me, has been given to you if you've been saved by God's grace. And so we can rest assured in that. And that's why we can have hope. That's why we can have peace. That's why we can have joy that is everlasting. Because this is our history. This is who we are. We are his because of Jesus. And so after this, Paul closes the chapter here and the verses that we're going to focus on by getting back to Timothy, 
by getting back to Timothy's calling and getting back to the charge that Timothy has been entrusted with, what he is there to do as the pastor of this church in Ephesus. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this ends our first chapter here. We'll break it up into just a, a few sections, three, three sections here. And first thing we see in verse 18, as I said, Paul gets back to Timothy. But he tells Timothy, Timothy, remember, you have been entrusted with something. And, it, and what that is, is the gospel. We'll get to that. But it's to wage the good fight. To be in war. You've been entrusted to go and to fight for the gospel day in and day out. And this idea of entrusting is something that I want us to think about. What does it mean to entrust someone with something? Right? What, what's happening here is Paul, it seems, and the apostles knew that one day they would not be here. And so Paul here is entrusting to Timothy this work that God had called Timothy to, which was to keep true to the gospel, to be sharing the gospel. This is the warfare that Paul is talking about. And he's kind of handing it over here, saying, Timothy, go, keep this going. This, this work that God has given me, you are going to be doing as well. And it's gospel work. It's gospel focus. It might be in a different location. It's during a different time. But the gospel still remains the same. And so, Timothy, go and be faithful to this. I think this is why Paul talked about in his little testimony there in verses 12 through 17. You remember in verse 12, Paul says, God has given me strength. The Lord has given me the strength to do this work. And it's kind of like Timothy would be thinking about that because now Paul's saying, Timothy, go and do this work. Remember who gives us the strength. It's the Lord that's going to give you the strength to go about and to do this. And reminding Timothy of this promise. He's saying, and you're going to need this strength in order to be entrusted with the gospel. But this entrusting to go and to share the gospel is in fact the highest honor that any of us could ever receive. I don't know what you've ever been entrusted with. Maybe, maybe something. And I hope that you take it serious. I can give like a little example. If somebody ever entrusts you with their kid to take them somewhere, you should take that serious. Right? Even if it's just your child's friend but you're taking them to the apple orchard or you're taking them to some game or you're taking them to a movie or whatever it is, you have now been entrusted with the welfare of that kid to bring them back safely, right? To, to watch out for them and to, and to care for them. And that's something that you should take seriously when you have the opportunity to do that, right? And you're going to look out for them. You should make sure they get some food and well-fed and they have something to drink, right? That's, that's now your job. And I would guess for most of us, we would take that pretty seriously. And it is something we should take seriously. When we think about what Paul's talking to Timothy about, the gospel, I don't want to water down the importance of taking care of someone's kid. But having the gospel is the highest thing of importance one can have. And as members of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, if you're a member here this morning, you and I 
have been entrusted with a gospel message and to share that here where we live. This church turned 85 years old in December. So we've been around for 85 years. 85 years ago, we had some people who moved from the south up to the north to look for work. They found work, but when they got here, they felt we don't have a place to worship. And so that's how this church kind of started and was, was formed, was we need a, a place to worship together. And so they started worshiping together. And they would call people to be their pastors, and they would start to do evangelism here in this town. And as a result, God began to work in this town in some people's lives. We saw people come to know the Lord. The church would begin to grow. And this church would continue to go all the way until this moment, to which we are entrusted now with the work that they were entrusted with. Now we have the privilege to share the gospel here in our place, here in our town. And it's something, again, that we should take seriously because it's an important task. We can start businesses in this town, we can, we can work in this town, and we can contribute to Monroe and to Monroe County in a lot of good ways by paying taxes, being good citizens, voting, all these different things that we can do in this town which are good and we should be a part of. But we have a task that is greater than any other task that could be entrusted to anyone, and that is this. We are to be a church in this town who believes the gospel, who believes that God still works in the gospel message to save people. And that's entrusted to you and to me. Now, as the pastor here at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, it is my job to protect this. It is my job to ensure that this is happening. And I consider that my most important task and duty here as pastor is are we staying true to the gospel message? Again, so many churches, I think every church would say, we are a Bible-believing church. That's what almost all churches would say. All right? And yes, we hold to that too. But I want to actually mean it. This whole book, all of its pages, we believe this. We live by this. We believe that this has the answer to the people's problems, which is sin. And that can only be solved by Jesus. Not some other thing, not some, not some other person, not some other way, not some other work. No, it's, it's only this. And we must make sure that we hold to this. Why? Because as Paul tells to Timothy here, you are in a war. Right? You, are, you are in a warfare that must be, <coughs> that must be fought. And we know, because we went through Ephesians together, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about this to the church in Ephesus. Saying, together we fight a fight that isn't necessarily physical, but it's spiritual. We're in a spiritual battle day in and day out, and it requires our full attention all the time. You might, I'll, I'll read that section in Ephesians here in a moment, but it talks about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God. The fact of the matter is we can never take it off. You say, well, when I go to sleep, I'm safe. No, you're not. No, you're not. You must always have the armor of God on. We have to always be dressed in that as his people because we are constantly in a spiritual battle and in a spiritual fight. And we know, you know this, if you've been a Christian very long at all, you know that a little laziness in your life spiritually, where do you find yourself? Falling. You do. All it takes is a, a little bit of laziness. And the next thing you know, that little bit has turned into more and has turned into more and has turned into more. 
And then you find yourself and you're like, I haven't been in God's word in months. I haven't prayed in months. I haven't attended church in months or whatever it might be. I feel so dry. I feel so empty. What is going on in my life? Well, it's because you got lazy. You didn't take the war serious. It actually is a war. Yes, we've been saved by God's grace, but the battles keep going. Right? The battles keep happening. And this war that we are in is a war for the souls of men and women. Now, because of God's grace in my life and yours, again, if you've been saved by his grace, our lives have been made secure in Christ. And so I'm not fighting for my soul. God has won that. Christ has won that. But then what am I fighting for? Well, I'm fighting for perseverance, of which we'll get to in a little bit. But I also, I want to fight for those lost souls who Jesus came to save. Sinners. I can't save them. But I have the privilege to be able to share with them the truth of that message and trust that God will work in their life. That's a battle that we face every day, no matter what your occupation is. You are working with people who are lost. And yes, you can be lazy and never talk to them about spiritual things. But then we're not doing our duty as Christians. Right? Then we're not loving the Lord how we should because as, as we love him, we're going to serve him. Of which he says, tell them. Tell them. Oh, they might not like it. They might push back. But this is the war that we fight. We're not in a war for oil we're not in a war for power. We're not in a war for money or for more land because our kingdom is not of this world. We are in a war for people's salvation, for their souls. And we want to be able to share the truth with them. And so the good news in this war is that Jesus has provided all we need. Let me remind you, Ephesians 6, 12 through 18. Paul writes, for our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This armor of God that we are told to put on, if you remember, it's, it's kind of the armor that Christ wore. And it's the perfect armor. And it's been given to us through Jesus so that we can wage battle in this war. It's because of the blood of Christ, this gospel that we've been entrusted with, that we know that this is true and allows us to be sustained. Again, it's not about the stuff that we cultivate on our own. And that's what leads Paul to the next thing that he talks about. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, he says, in holding faith to the conscience. And before that, he had mentioned uh, in verse 18, he said, and this, is, this might seem odd to some of you, he says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. And so how do we fight this fight? How do, we, how do we keep on going? How can we make sure that we're going to be successful in this 
warfare. Well, Paul says, number one, we, we do it by holding faith with a good conscience. And we remember our calling. That's what Timothy's told here with the prophecy. And this is the only thing that works. This is why the false teachers must be quieted in the church. That's why it's such an important task to quiet them. Because what they teach leads to destruction, not peace. Not peace, it leads straight to destruction. The only thing that can get a person through the war is to be a Christian. It's to be saved by Christ. One who trusts fully in Jesus alone. When we do not do this, or when we start teaching something else, here's what it leads to. Burnout. It leads to strife. It starts to lead to regret. You see, this idea of perseverance, I think, is one that we don't uh, teach about enough. Because, again, I, I think one thing you would say of me preaching, I, I, would, I would hope you would say this. I've already done it in this message. Salvation is not of you. It's of Christ. He's done it for you. Yes, Scripture is very clear that we are called to persevere. We are called to persevere in our faith. And I'm sure as you sit here this morning, you can think of people who seem to have fallen away. It seems as if they are not persevering. And Paul here is telling Timothy, you must persevere. And the way to do that is by holding to the faith with a good conscience. And the only way to hold faith with a good conscience is to have the truth of God in you. To be living that and to be believing that and nothing else. And nothing else. That's the only way that that, that can be done. If you notice in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are these appeals to new believers and to mature believers in the New Testament. And I want to read some of them for you. That's in Acts, uh, a couple of them in Acts, and then one in 1 Peter. Notice the appeal to these believers of how to keep going. Acts 13, 42 to 43. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout teachers or converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue what? In the grace of God. In the grace of God. This was the urge. Go in the grace of God. Acts 14, 21 to 22. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you brief, briefly, and he's trying to sum up his whole book here, Peter, saying, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in it. And so catch this. The way that they try to encourage the congregations to persevere isn't to say, look at all the good you're doing. <laughs> look at how strong you are. Look at how God keeps pouring blessings on you. Of course God's loved you. Of course God cares about you. No, what do they say? Hold fast to the faith. What is that? Grace. Stand in grace. Hold on to grace. Remember grace. And we, again, I think we think, Pastor, get past the whole grace thing. I can't. Because if we think we can get past the grace thing, then we are those teachers who need to be pushed out. 
or those teachers who need to get kicked out because that's what we have is we have grace and it's the only thing that can get you through the difficulty and hardships of this life which are promised it's amazing there in acts chapter four uh, chapter 14 that i read he says hold true to the faith why because we're going to go through a lot of hardships in this life and be ready for it the only thing that's going to sustain you is the grace of god nothing else nothing else is going to sustain you nothing else is going to be there for you other than god's grace and so know it understand it hold on to it rest your hope and your peace in christ and in christ alone and so these can't just be words that we say we can't just pass the word around oh we're grace we we believe in grace so we like grace or oh we give out grace but yet we don't actually hold to it but we don't actually believe it see there's a lot of different theological things out there and there's some even here this morning we'd say our theology ben is is on grace we are people of grace you know what i found a lot of a lot about people who say that they're the most ungraceful people ever. They never give anybody grace. They never depart to anybody grace. They never, they never actually show the loving grace of God to anybody. Right? They, they just want to fight or something all the time. And it's like, no, if you're actually going to say you're someone of grace, then be somebody of grace. Right? Understand what grace is. Understand who you were before Christ. What Christ has done for you, saving you as a sinner, and how you are sustained each and every day. And it's by grace, not you. It's not how great you are. And so how do we persevere? We hold on to that grace by faith. And we trust that God is the one who's given us that faith to keep holding on. Because I can't even do that. But we pray that God would continue to remind us of how good he is. Now, somebody might say, well, what about 1 John 2, 3? Because in 1 John 2, 3, it says this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You say, well, Pastor Tim, it sounds like what John is saying is I, the way I test my faith and improve my faith is I do stuff. Is that what John is saying here? Well, I think you have to interpret that with other passages. Because we know in other passages it says something very starkly different. What John is talking about in 1 John is, yes, the outworking of God's grace in our life is faithfulness to God. That's what's going to happen. When God pours his grace out on an individual, it will then be faithfulness to him and his commands. But we're not called to base our salvation on these works. We're not supposed to do that. Instead, we see like Paul, or you remember earlier in this chapter, when Paul said, I thank God who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. You remember that? It wasn't that God looked and said, Paul, you're going to be a faithful one, so, so then you're on my team. No, Paul says, I'm a faithful one because he's put me on his team. He saved me. And it's the same here with what John is saying. We are going to do these works. Why? Because he has saved us it is going to flow this is the result of salvation and for some of us it's a little quicker process than others for some these works are a slow process obedience doesn't come instantly it's something we grow in and if we're being honest as christians sometimes we take little dips and sometimes we come back up and we have our peaks and we have our little valleys but we continue to persevere why because god has saved us because we are his and because he won't let us go. He's not going to let us 
slide out of the church, to slide away from the faith. And that's a good thing. Because for me personally, if my faith is based on my success rate of obedience, then my glass half-empty personality of which I have would lead to a horrible life in this faith. I would doubt my salvation every single day. Because the way I see my life at all times, and maybe some of you can attest to this, is I could have prayed more. I could have read God's word more. There's people I didn't share the gospel with. I could have treated my wife better. I could have treated my kids better. I could have done more work at church. I could have done more work at home. I could have done more work in the community. I could have done this, 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 and this. And every night would be laying down saying, I'm just not worthy. I just haven't done enough. God, I I could do more because there's something in me that always tells Tim, Tim, you could do more. I know you did everything today, but you could have done more, right? And so I'd just be broken all the time. This faith of mine isn't, isn't based on me. My faith is based on his grace, which Paul says is overflowing. And so when I lay my head on my pillow at night and I start to think about all the things I could have done, I need to be reminded of this. Oh yeah, Tim, you could have. That's just the truth of it. Tim, you could have done better with your kids today. Tim, you, you could have done more at church. You, you could have prayed more. You could have read more. But Tim, remember this. My grace is overflowing in your life again at this moment. Jesus came to save sinners, Tim, of which you are. But yet I love you. And for you as a Christian, it's the same story. It's the same thing in your life. His grace is overflowing. Well, as we get to verses 19 through 20, Paul starts to talk about something that is uncomfortable to many of us, something we don't witness or see much of anymore. But he calls out a couple people. He talked about some false teachers already in this chapter. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, remember your calling. That the prophecies in this, this is when the the church had called Timothy. And I'll, I'll have a chance to talk about that more later. But the church had called Timothy to do the task of ministry, of pastor. And so Paul is telling him, Timothy, it is now your job to stand up for the faith and the true teaching. And I need you to go after a couple people. And here's who they are. And so he says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Not of the church, but of their faith. They've skewed it. They've went away from this grace thing, and they're starting to add some things to it. And, Paul has, and, and so Timothy, as a result, their faith is a shipwreck. And then he names them, Aminius and Alexander. And Paul has some harsh words, doesn't he? Look what he says. Whom I have handed over to Satan. That's tough to hear, but I'm glad Paul didn't end there because he said, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So as always, when it comes to church discipline, when it comes to trying to lovingly care for people who seem to start swaying from the truth of the gospel, there is a line when it comes to this. And we do not want to fall too far one way or another from the line. But we must be faithful to confront false teaching that leads people astray. Because number one, if you, if you never confront anyone because it's quote-unquote loving, what does that lead to? It leads to a false church. That's what it would lead to. 
If no one ever gets confronted because of bad teaching, then everybody's just teaching everything. And now what you have is not the truth anywhere. And it leads to a, a false church. This is one of my worries with people who are not connected to a church, but they call themselves teachers or church planters. And you say, well, what church is sending you out? Oh, we don't have one. Mm, then how do I know to trust you? Who, who is overseeing you? Who is making sure that you're teaching right and well and doing what you're supposed to do? You can't just call yourself. It's God who calls us. And even in Timothy's case, what does it say? Those who prophesied over you and assured your calling because you were sent. Who's sending you? Right? These are fair and honest questions. And a lot of times, the sending is a split from somebody else or a frustration. And instead of listening to wise counsel, they say, you know what, I'll just go start my own thing over here. And now they're just some wanderer in the world leading all kinds of people astray, sadly. And so if we never confront anyone because we want to love them well, all we're doing is really damning them because that leads to false church. But if on the flip side, we're just here to confront everybody for every little thing they disagree with about me, then that leads to what? An unloving church and eventually a very lonely church. Because at that point, if I'm being honest, if I wanted to live this way, I would have kicked all of you out already and it'd just be me here. Because I seem to be the only one who has it all together. Right? I seem to be the only one who knows all the answers to everything. And I'd just be talking to myself every morning. There'd be a lot of amens if it was that way. But we can't do that either, right? There's, there has to be a, a line. I, I can't get on everybody's case all the time, but I also should just let everybody run free. So what do we do as a church? Well, we have to make sure we're confronting theological error. Yes, but not doing it out of spite. Not doing it out of wrong motives. Because if we become that church, then we just become a militant church. That's what we'd be known as. Well, that's the militant church. They like to get everybody in line all the time. No, what was Paul's motive here? We see it at the end of verse 20 that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul, Paul, in confronting these two men and dealing with these two men, he hopes that in doing this, in handing them over, that what will happen is God will help them to see the errors in their way so that they will be restored. This is Paul's motive. He wants these men to be restored. Not to go to hell, not to be out of the church forever, but to see their error to correct it, and then to be welcomed back into the fold. That's the motivation behind this church discipline that Paul is talking about here. And it's interesting, the word that he uses, what does he say, that they wouldn't blaspheme? Do you remember the first sin Paul labeled himself as in verses 12 through 17? A blasphemer. I was a blasphemer. And so if these men are sitting in the church hearing this letter read, they heard Paul say, I was a blasphemer. Now Paul's saying, they are blasphemers. But I'm hoping they'll be restored. Just like I was, like Paul would say. Just like I was. I'm trusting that God will do that. Well, well what is Paul talking about, though, when he says, I handed them over to Satan? Well, what Paul's talking about is saying, you need to take them out of the care of the church. You have to push them out of the church. They're not allowed in the church anymore. They must be amongst the wolves on their own. And we will trust that God will work and move in that. 
that God will use that. Now, I have no doubt that as I say that, many of you are thinking, that's the wrong approach. It should not be done that way. Now, if you're thinking that way, let me warn you. We said we're a Bible-believing church. Okay? We said we're a Bible-believing church. Sadly, what has happened today is the church has become watered down. And what happens more often than not is the church does not have to dismiss people out of the church. You want to know why? Too many people are dismissing themselves out of the church. They slowly fade away. They have a little disagreement with somebody or they get a little lazy in the war. And what do they do? They start to pull themselves away from the church. They start to pull themselves away from the care of leadership. They start to pull themselves away from the Lord's table. They start to pull themselves away from the fellowship that a church provides and that God has given us by his grace of brothers and sisters to care for each other's burdens, to be there for each other's joys. On their own, they pull themselves away from that and they go to the wolves on their own. And it just leads to hardship. It leads to hurt. They might think, oh, I can do this whole Christian thing on my own. They, the result of COVID proved to us, did it not, that we can just do church on TV. I mean, that's what everybody was saying. And so a lot of people think, I'll just do this church thing on my own. My, my, pastor, my pastor will be Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or John MacArthur or some of these big name people that people in our church seem to like to listen to, which there's nothing wrong with listening to them. But we say, these guys are my pastor now. No, and now you're just wandering all alone. And you basically have kicked yourself out of the church. You've, you've given yourself over, like Paul is doing with these men, to Satan, because you have nobody now to care for you, to tell you what you need to hear when you need to hear it, to give you a hug when you need it, to love on you when you need it. You see, this is what church discipline Paul is talking about. He's saying, those, those false teachers, they need to be removed from the church and they don't receive this care anymore. And what God will do is God will show them the error of their ways. Now, does it work every time? No. Does it work sometimes? Absolutely. I've seen it work. I've had to go through that before. It's very uncomfortable. With people you love about, people you love, with people you care, I've had to sit in those meetings. I've had to look them in the eye and I've had to tell them, listen, you are not welcome here anymore. Well, why? Because you're not living according to the gospel. You're doing harm. What you're doing is wrong. You're living a way that you know you shouldn't live, and you're trying to say it's okay. And you're only doing harm here, and therefore, you are not welcome in this church anymore. I gotta tell you, that's a hard conversation. And instantly, what they say back to you is, you don't love me. You don't love me. And then... People in your own church, you know what they tell you? Hey, where's so-and-so? And you tell them, well, this is what happened. That wasn't very loving, Pastor. You don't love them. Shouldn't we bring them in? Shouldn't we bring them closer? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we care for them more? Shouldn't we watch over them and, and keep teaching them? Most of the time, it's like, I've, we've tried that. We've tried that. This wasn't a first-time thing. Oh, you're teaching something wrong? Kicked out. No. There were conversations. There was trying to help. But I promise you, 
I've also seen those people who I've had to have that conversation with come back later. And I've had multiple times them say this, you know what did it? I'm like, what? When I got kicked out, I realized how serious this was. I had to do some reflecting. I didn't have my church family anymore. I didn't have the truth of God, and you stood on that. I've had people tell me that before. Again, in my logic, putting them out there, dumbest thing to do. Keep them here. But Paul says, no, you can't have them in the church. Remember, a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. And we have to care about what's being taught and what's being said and what's being proclaimed, and we have to hold to grace. That's what we have. Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 through 5, just so you don't think this was like a one-off thing. Paul says to the church of Corinth, so when you are assembled, I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Again, talking about an individual, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. He says this is the last chance he's got. You've talked to them. You've told them that this is wrong. You've, you've prayed for them. You've encouraged them to do the right thing. But now is the time. You need to let them go and trust that God will work in their life. You need to see them now as an unbeliever. When you talk to them, you share the gospel with them. You let them know that God's grace is available for them. But you treat them as an unbeliever and hope that God will work in the midst of it. Again, I know this is a hard thing to do. It's a hard task. But we are entrusted with what? The gospel. And we have to make sure it's the gospel that is taught. That it's the gospel that is what is being believed in and, and held on to. See, sadly, <laughs> too often churches and pastors, and this is a big temptation of mine if I'm being honest, we do strategies based off of people and pews. We do strategies to get people because we want attendance. Because attendance equals pride. If I'm being quite frank, attendance usually equals money, which is a concern in every ministry. An attendance, for some reason, equals success. And it's very easy nowadays to get attendance is you just start teaching falsely. Start itching people's ears. Start telling them that they're good enough. I saw um, one of, one of, someone in the church sent me this little thing. It's, it's sad, but it's kind of humorous. And it labeled, it labeled non-believers, and, and the non-believer said, I have never done anything wrong in my life. And then it pans over to this guy, and they labeled him the church, and the church says, we know, and we love you. That's how you draw a crowd. We love you just how you are. We love, we love everything about you. You don't have to do anything. We are here just to serve you. I am here just to care about you. I am here just to tell you that you are absolutely the best thing ever. If you do those messages long enough, your pews get full. It just happens. It works. It's an easy thing to do. But that's not what we're entrusted to. The task isn't to fill this building. The task for us as a church is to fulfill the word of God. 
to preach the word of God, to worship and honor our God, to give him glory in everything we do, and to honor him, that if he's going to save me by his grace, the outflowing of that then would be to serve him according to his word and to do the things that he's called us to do. And so that is being true to the gospel of which I need you to pray for me often to be doing that. I pray for you often that you would be living that out where you are. I pray for our kids in our schools who it's so easy to go astray in our schools. It's so easy to give in to what society says is right and go contrary to this scripture. It's so easy to do in our schools. But we have kids within our church who are going to walk into those schools tomorrow. And they need us to be praying that they would stay true to the gospel. That they would love their Lord more than they would love the things of this world. And we pray for you as you walk into your work tomorrow. That you will be faithful to the gospel. That all, we have many of hardships ahead of us, it said there in Acts. But we have grace. We have grace. And that's why we can keep going. That's why we persevere. That's why we keep fighting this warfare. Because of grace. And there are people who are lost out there who need to hear about it. And we pray that God will open their eyes to that truth and they will experience his love through the blood of Christ. Amen. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, as we get ready to respond to your word, help us to respond appropriately. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to the gospel. God, I know I mentioned, and you know this, our church has been around for 85 years. Seems like a long time, I'm sure, to many of us. But in the span of time, it's very short. God, I I pray that our church would be here another 85 years. But not because of some gimmick, not because of some special plan, not because of false teaching, but that we would be here as a true church, still faithfully teaching the gospel and going strong according to your word for many, many more years. And God, I pray that you would use your word and that that would attract people. Not not the personality of some speaker, not some other thing that might attract people, Not, not our building, our grounds, Nothing like that, but that people would be drawn to your word, that you, you would be moving in their hearts, that you would be melting hearts of stone and giving people hope that is only found in Jesus. God, I, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would move. God, I'm thankful that you have done that. I, I've seen that happen in families' lives and people's lives. And God, I pray that that would keep happening. God, as Satan continues to push and and to pull and to cause doubt and all these different things, God, help us to stay away from those temptations. Help us to wage the good fight, to fight faithfully in the war, understanding that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but it's a spiritual fight. And God, we thank you that Jesus is the victor in the fight. And we are his. We're not in a losing army. We don't have to wonder if, if in the end, are we going to get through and get by. No, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. We know that victory is his. We know that your word tells us that all things are put under his feet, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know your word tells us that you have called us, that you have saved us, and you have given us an inheritance that cannot be ripped away from us. So God, help us to be faithful and true to you day in and day out. God, I pray for those Christians here this morning who maybe feel laziness has crept in into their life. God, strengthen them back up. Help them to see that today they just go and we, we do it again today and tomorrow and we keep fighting. There's no secret formula. We just get up and we go. So God, I pray that they would do that. But God, help them also to remember that you still love them the same that you did the day that they fell on their knees and trusted in you. Your love for them has not wavered, but you still love them and overflow them with grace day in and day out. God, we thank you for the peace that you give us in Jesus. As we sing this last song, God, I pray that we would worship you. I pray that we would honor you and help us to respond to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.